You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And we were just saying before we started recording, we haven't spoke for a few days. Frank was at the game tonight, and uh, which first of all is pretty cool. I was listening out to see whether there was going to be any transition from Let's Go Bucks chance to Locked On Bucks chance, but uh, I, I didn't hear anything. I don't know whether, did, did, did that happen at all? It didn't. I uh, I did not keep on my end of the bargain, Kane. Um, uh, yeah, you can. I, it was funny. I was watching um, the you know Giannis now is his every game ritual is the the shoe giveaway. You yeah. can you can find me. You can where's Waldo me in the background uh, of of that video that's shot oh. from the, part of it was shot from the floor. Uh, you can see me and uh, my wife. You can if you know what we look like and you really strain hard enough and you pause the video, you can, you can find us, which is what I did. Uh, Cause I was like, we were close enough that we, I think we were watching that. But um, anyway, the, that, that girl was like crying uh, yeah. after, after Giannis put her back in the stance, she just like was, you know, like extremely emotional about getting Giannis shoes. By the way, I feel like it's, I guess it's natural because athletes think of like, Oh, these are my shoes. I'm going to give my shoes to somebody. But, um, and I love, I love that Giannis does this, uh, but why don't they just give away one shoe to one kid and another shoe to another kid? You know, like nobody's going to ever yeah. get no, Nobody needs the pair, right? Like nobody's going to go wear these shoes out to the store or the size. I think Giannis was like a five, 15 or 16 shoe. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to wear those shoes ever. Um, but, uh, uh, just, just a thought, maybe we could double our number of weeping children at every game. Uh, if, <laughs> if, if, uh, if Giannis did that, but I think that was. That, I believe that was Ted Kellner, who's who's a minority Bucks investor. I assume that was like his granddaughter or something. The uh, older guy uh, I recognize. So he probably could have gotten a pair of Giannis shoes without getting them at a game. So I don't want to you know be too grinchy about it. But uh, at a minimum, the uh, the young lady was extremely excited, which is obviously always great to see. And even though Giannis was uh, interesting game tonight, because you know Bucks get off to a super slow start. The Pacers sort of, I think, tried their best, you know, Raptors Eastern Conference Finals defense, putting Brogdon on him, and just bringing a lot of help. Um, but eventually, uh, it was it was fun to watch the Bucks offense and the machinery eventually get clicking and passing and finding those open shooters. And I think we also saw the Pacers' lack of of depth kind of shine through because um, Bonus was great. Uh, Miles Turner had some moments. Um, but other than that, you know, Brogdon in his return got a standing ovation, which was nice to see. I was I was part of that for the record. Uh, nice to see Malcolm getting uh, that uh, acknowledgement. Uh, there was a tribute video. Uh, I hate to call it a tribute video. It's not like he's dead or something like that, or you know, like retiring. Uh, but you know, like the memories video um, at during a timeout in the first half, and um, he got a nice standing ovation and waved to the crowd. So it was kind of nice to see. But uh, overall, he, you know, we saw the very nice relationship he has with Sabonis in the pick and roll. But um, Bucks pretty much choked off, you know, most of his other opportunities. And very rough shooting night for him tonight as, um, you know, Wes Matthews, again, do, doing a very nice defensive job. And the Bucks spraying the ball around. And um, even with Chris Middleton and Giannis really not playing at a, at a very high level offensively, Giannis got his passing game going eventually. But um, you know, I think Bucks' superior depth really, really showed through, and yeah, it would, uh, you know, again, got, game got a little tight there at the end of the third quarter again, but um, you know, ultimately, uh, Bucks just cranking out wins again and again and again, and you know, even obviously against an, uh, an Indiana team that has been very good, even without Victor Oladipo, uh, you know, a very encouraging result going into uh, the holidays. You, you never know, right, uh, on a back to back. Granted, it wasn't the toughest effort against the Knicks, which we won't probably talk very much about uh, <laughs> on Friday night. 
Um, but, uh, you know, Bucks got in a, a light workout in New York and then had to turn around and obviously play an early game, uh, six o'clock start locally. So credit to them, you know, they, this is why they're 27 and four. Um, it's because they, they always seem to get up for games. They always play their game defensively and obviously they know who they are offensively as well. And, you know, even with maybe the defensive wrinkles, slowing Giannis down a little bit, Middleton not looking like himself. Um, still just another, another blowout win for the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, last night the Bucks beat the Knicks 123-102, and then the final tonight is uh, 117-89. So uh, I always take notes during the game of, of things that sort of stand out to me. And the notes I took from that Bucks knicks game, this is literally all I wrote down. It was the two franchise records for three points made and three points attempted. That's literally my, my only notes from that entire Knicks game. But uh, yeah, it's, this tonight was sort of a, a dangerous game because the Pacers, while I think we saw tonight the limitations they have uh, as a team, and keep it in mind, obviously, Old Depot is not playing and he's a genuine all-star caliber player. Uh, but we saw the limitations of this Pacers team against a defense like Milwaukee that will shut them down in the paint. The Pacers generally aren't a team that like to shoot a lot of threes, don't always shoot them that well. And and yeah, that's why they got off to a quick start tonight because they hit a couple of threes. And we did see, as you mentioned, that pick and roll with, with Brogdon and Sabonis. It's quite remarkable, really, to see how uh, well they work together in such a short time. Brogdon picked up the 10 assists, but he had eight of those, I believe, uh, before halftime or, or in the second quarter there uh, when... He Sabonis was really sort of picking the bucks off in the in the sort of mid range free throw area, but again we've seen those are the shots that the that the bucks do give up. So if teams are willing to shoot them, and Indiana is certainly one of them, you you know you can be susceptible to a to a guy going on a bit of a run as Sabonis did, who finished with nineteen points and eighteen rebounds, five assists as well. He's having a great season, uh, but I think the limitations of Brogdon as a lead offensive scoring type guard uh we're shown tonight and again he's coming up against the number one ranked defense in the league so and and also a team that as we know protects the paint really well so it was always going to be difficult for him i think the bucks got a little bit lucky with his shooting uh from beyond the three-point line obviously he had a couple of open looks there he finishes 0 for 4 just 5 for 19 on the night but yeah, I mean, I, I think we saw what you probably expect from Brogdon against this team, who also just knows him really well. And I think that matters because we saw early in this game, and maybe this is where we, we should sort of focus in on first. You, you mentioned Giannis, not a typically dominant scoring night for him. Uh, eight for 17 from the field. He did hit a three to keep that streak going. He's hit a three in 23 straight games now. But I think what we saw from Indiana early is a definitive trend now. And it makes a lot of sense. Go with a smaller guy uh, that, that is a little bit longer. Obviously, we know Brogdon has defended bigger guys before. We've seen that in Milwaukee. But they really went with Brogdon defending uh, Giannis and then trying to send a quick double and throw other bodies at him. And I, I think it worked to start. I mean, Giannis had four turnovers early in the game. He finished with those four turnovers, which was nice to see him adjust to that and then make smarter decisions passing the ball, even though he didn't really get uh, free and missed a lot of shots close to the rim, which was kind of unlike him. But this is something that I think is good for Giannis to go through because I think that this is the only way you can look at defending him if <laughs> if you have the amount of guys uh, that can actually cover him. Because if you throw a big guy at him, we know now he's, he's going to sh- he shoots the threes or he's going to just blow straight by you. So you are better off keeping your bigger guys closer to the basket, sending them in as, as the help, and just hoping that a smaller guy might be able to at least direct him into some sort of difficult shot or to get the ball out of his hands because uh, I, I'm not sure what else you do. And when you watch that Lakers game and saw Giannis pulling up and shooting threes on Anthony Davis anyway, it's like, well, okay, like it, it doesn't really matter what you put on him on the perimeter. He still can shoot over you. So this seems to be uh, the best way to go about guarding Giannis. Today's podcast is brought to you by Casper. Casper is the original mattress that combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using locked NBA at the checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. Yeah, and with the three-point shot becoming 
a more legitimate weapon. Um, you know, we, we've talked about obviously just how do you weaponize that threat to, uh, you know, use it to drive. And I thought tonight the Pacers did a nice job of playing up on him enough that, you know, they, they really were not daring him to shoot threes. Um, yeah. and, and that makes sense with smaller guys. They're a little quicker. They're, they're you know, going to be more comfortable playing him tighter on the perimeter and being able to, you know, still move their feet. And I thought we saw whether it was Brogdon or I think, you know, Justin Holiday, Edmund Summer, like they had, you know, different wings getting time against Giannis. Um, we saw a number of guys who really moved their feet well. Um, they kind of crowded him on pick and rolls. Like they, they basically sort of stopped him from ever getting ahead of steam. And, and that's sort of the thing is, um, you know, Giannis isn't like a explosive first step guy per se. Um, he's a guy who just relies on just, you know, if once he takes two or three steps, his two or three steps are just going to be covering way more ground than your two or three steps. Um, But his first step isn't really the thing that, that kills you. And so I think that's where the benefit of, of playing these smaller guys actually kind of really comes in handy because obviously he's not going to just like, you know, take a dribble in and then pull up over you as you're retreating. You know, he, if he's driving past the, you know, inside the three point arc, then he's trying to get to the rim. um, Cause you know, again, we saw a number of examples tonight, like, you know, he, he just doesn't really have that sort of in between, you know, five to eight foot type of shot in his arsenal, right? Like he's, he's kind of like the, you know, Anthony Davis is interesting because Anthony Davis has tons of those shots, like his runners, um, you know, his sort of in between little shots on the move. Um, he's great at those shots, even though, you know, Davis is not, you know, we saw him really struggle from three point range, really not coming close on yeah. whatever the five or six threes that he missed on Thursday. But he's had all those in-between shots, whereas Giannis really doesn't have that. You know, when he's, when he's going, then we've seen at times, you know, the, the little, little hook shots, little push shots, which, of course, I've been dreaming of seeing with consistency. Um, but we haven't really seen them w- with a lot of consistency. Uh, and so it's kind of one of those things that, um, you know, I, I think with Giannis, that, that, you know, if we, you know, and I don't want to jump the gun, if we get to the point where we say, okay, well, now he's, he's pretty competent at threes, um, so what else can we kind of pick apart? Well, free throws obviously is, is a big one. You know, had issues <laughs> in New York again for hitting, um, hitting some free throws late to kind of make it slightly more respectable tonight. It goes just one out of two, which was Strange, a theme by the way. in general. I mean, yeah. Although, I mean, the, the bucks, you know, talking about, you know, playing the math game tonight. I mean, the Pacers took what they take three free throws at five free throws the entire game. <laughs> so that, that was completely, you know, in the in sort of the Bucks, you know, math wheelhouse. Basically, um, you know, it gave up forty threes attempted. Pacers hit twelve, so you know, you can definitely live with that uh, in terms of percentage wise. Um, and obviously, just in general, you know, forcing the Pacers to beat them from mid range. Um, and Sabonis can do that, right? We saw that. I mean, they kind of were daring them to hit that, that shot, and he did for quite a quite a while, it seemed. Um, but overall. Uh, you know, I think for Giannis, uh, we saw him sort of adapt as the game went on. And, you know, it was interesting because a lot of times it feels like when he gets assists, like we saw against the Knicks, he just was racking up a ton of assists early on kickouts. You know, we're, we need to talk about Brook Lopez because Brook Lopez is shooting, you hope, is, you know, these last two games, seven out of 14 in the last 24 hours, you hope that's a sign of things that come. And when Brook Lopez is hitting those trail threes, hitting those open threes from, you know, 28 feet, Giannis suddenly seems to start picking up another assist or two per game. Uh, and we've obviously seen him during go through periods where he's scoring a ton and not really assisting as much. His usage is you know sky high right now. Um, but in, again, in New York and, and also tonight against the Pacers, we saw him begin to take on more of a facilitating role. I think against the Knicks, it was more just like, well, you guys are just leaving people wide open. So I'm just going to go find these guys and, you know, then the Bucks just punish the Knicks with three, especially in that first half tonight. It was more, well, you guys are taking away my driving lane, so I got to figure some other stuff out. <laughs> and and then he eventually did, and um, kind of became grew into that distributing role. I would say as the game went on a bit. Um, but again, like as you said, I think this is healthy for him to see different looks. There's always there's always new wrinkles he's going to see or variants on old wrinkles. And you know, if there's one thing the regular season can do is it can provide Giannis with different looks and having to do different things. And last year, you know, maybe it was more of the having to go against really big guys who just sagged off and tried to choke off the paint this year. Now with the three point shot, 
Um, maybe it's going to be kind of more of that, you know, especially after the East finals, maybe it's going to be more of that Raptor type approach. We put a smaller guy on him and then just try to send tons and tons of help. And obviously in that scenario, um, bucks have to be creative. They can't just throw the ball in the poster every time. Um, and Giannis has to be patient and obviously teammates have to make shots. And, you know, tonight, uh, 18 out of 43. So, you know, pretty good shooting night for the bucks overall. Um, and you know, Wes Matthews punishing his, uh, former team, maybe not, you know, wasn't, wasn't in Indiana very long, but, um, hits five out of 10, uh, from the field, four out of eight from three hits, led the Bucks with five out of five free throws. Um, and again, played, I'd say very solid defense on, on Malcolm Brogdon as he once again, um, was up for the challenge of, you know, being kind of the, the head of the snake when it came to, you know, having to guard the, the team, other team's primary initiator, who's obviously a guy that we know is it presents some, some interesting challenges just because of how strong he is and how capable he is getting the basket. So I thought Wes, obviously it's always a team effort, but he did a really nice job tonight. And, you know, Brooke finding his range, you know, tonight, 17 points, eight rebounds, two assists, a couple blocks in New York, seven blocks to go with, I think it was 14 points. Um, you know, he was dominant protecting the pain and, with him now seeing some threes drop, obviously you you cross your fingers that that's going to be something that we're going to see more and more as the season wears on. Because certainly when Brooke is hitting three point shots, um, you know they, they're they're twenty seven and four with Brooke really not you know being close to what we saw last year. And so if, if he starts hitting those threes, obviously that that really even further opens up what the Bucks can do offensively. Yeah, so you mentioned the the fouls, and we know that uh, Bud. This is something that that he really gets frustrated when the Bucks are giving away too many fouls. Just seven fouls tonight, which I've just looked that up on the basketball uh, reference play index. I'm looking at what it's telling me is that that is a franchise low. <laughs> seven fouls uh, against the Bucks tonight. So r- strange game in the fact that Giannis only has two free throw attempts, but. Uh, if what I'm looking at is accurate here, the Bucks have never given uh, had fewer fouls called against them than they did tonight against the Pacers, which uh, I'm pretty sure Bart is going to be happy about that number uh, looking at this game. But Brooke Lopez, yeah, it's worth talking about. These numbers are slightly skewed, I guess, from the last couple of games because uh, he obviously hit the four threes against New York and then a three again tonight on, on good percentages. But December now, Brooke Lopez up to shooting 34%, 15 for 44 from three. And we spoke about this a lot, but this is around the mark where he's been since he became a three-point shooter. It's been that 34, 35, 36% mark. So uh, December is, is around the average for him. And we've seen him be streaky before. Certainly last year, he would go through a couple of games where he might be 0 for 6, 0 for 7, or, or whatever it might be. But then he'll get really hot. So he's, he's typically a guy that goes up and down, but this was an extended stretch of him struggling. He was 30% in October and then down at 28 uh, for the 15 games in November. So it's certainly good to see him hitting shots. And I thought when he hit that third one tonight, uh, he put out the old, uh, uh, he says just uh, cooling off his hot hand. Looks like the victory cigar, whatever you want to call it. But we haven't seen that really this year. So that was fun to see. And then typically as he does, he uh, shook his head in frustration. But it did look like him thinking, wow, this finally feels good. Some shots are starting to finally go for me. But while we're talking about the depth, because I think that this is, you're just seeing it. You're seeing it in the regular season. We saw it last year when they won 60 games, but obviously they're on a, <laughs> a, a better pace than that this year at 27 to four now, which is just absurd. And by the way, 300 wins for Mike Budenholzer in his coaching career tonight with the win. Uh, the Bucks are 87 and 26 in regular season games with Bud in charge, which is just friggin' ridiculous. And uh, the depth, again, it just shows because you mentioned this game got a little bit close in uh, towards the end of the third quarter where uh, the Pacers hit a couple of threes, the bonus had a couple there, and it got back to around 10 points, maybe nine points. Uh, but it was kind of a fake comeback, wasn't it? It, was, it almost like Giannis was on the bench, Chris Milton was on the bench. It's like, yeah, the Bucks went with that th- three-headed lineup of Robin Lopez, Ersan Ilyasova, Pat Connaughton. George Hill was out there as well, but... <laughs> I would like to see the numbers. Seriously, I, I would like, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to look it up because I just feel like anytime I like those players individually. Robin Lopez had had a nice scoring night to, to, in, when the Bucks were struggling to score. First of all, so he deserves some credit for that. But I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like when they put Ursa and Robin and Pat together, it's uh, <laughs> it doesn't go well.
I mean, and here's the thing: like, it's very regular seasony for the yeah. Bucks, just because they are a really well coached team and they know how they're supposed to play, and they all like are willing to embrace their roles. Like, it, it's not surprising to me if um, if you can, you know, kind of get away with that stuff or or even do reasonably well. Um, you know, playing kind of that all bench. I, I refer to it as the the checking lineup for for hockey fans, um, but again this is one of those things i'm worried about is okay like if if this works reasonably well then you know is all of a sudden um come playoff time i mean then it won't be all of a sudden like is bud just gonna say well i've just been doing this all year i'm just gonna keep doing this um and again then when other teams shorten their rotation you know it's one thing for that checking lineup to do well against you know the Pacers bench lineup in a game in December or, you know, the Hawks lineup in November or whatever it might be uh, where you can just sort of like outclass and out discipline some of these, some of these, you know, let's say bad lineups. Um, you know, and I just looked it up. So lineups without, I didn't do all bench, but I said without Bledsoe, Giannis, Chris and Brooke, um, you know, arguably top four guys. Obviously these are all George Hill lineups. Um, Two, almost 300 possessions there, plus seven points per 100. Pretty bad offensively, um, but yeah. they've just been awesome defensively. Um, you know, and again, but is there anything magical about what they do defensively that would let them do that against, you know, an Eastern Conference Finals opponent, uh, you know, a Finals opponent, et cetera? That's where I'm, I'm skeptical. Uh, and tonight, I think we, we did see that at the end of that third quarter. They just got blitzed with, you know, basically, you know, Chris and, and Giannis on the bench. Obviously, you don't have the benefit of blood. So, at, at at this point, anyway, because he's hurt. Um, and again, like I, I was joking with someone the other day, last year I always complained about Bud and his willingness to go with sort of like Brogdon plus bench lineups. And it's like this year he said, you know, all right, you didn't like those lineups, hold my beer. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm now I'm going George Hill plus plus bench lineups. So, um, I mean, Hill deserves a lot of credit because I mean I think he's the He's the common thread in sort of holding, holding those lineups together. He was very good again tonight, 17 points, nine rebounds. Um, just continues to every game, it just seems like he hits half his threes. Uh, and not just – I mean, it's a three-point shooting, but then also just, man, he's 33 years old, and he just continues to get to the rim um, with shocking frequency. <laughs> like, it just seems like he can turn on the Jets and get to the – get to the rim. We saw him in New York. Dunk it on paper. Um, yeah. Throw a, throw down a dunk, um, you know, throw down a, a, a contested dunk um, in half court. Uh, so again, I think, you know, it sounds like they've been kind of nursing maybe his back a little bit. I think he was questionable uh, this afternoon for the game. Actually, I think, I think it was his back, uh, which has been kind of an issue at times. And folks might remember they gave him a couple of days off uh, a little, maybe a few weeks ago to kind of rest up a little bit. So, um, that's, you know, that's kind of one of those things with blood. So, uh, you, you obviously really want to have George Hill available because he's been so good and, you know, especially w- lacking your starting point guard, you really obviously don't want to have to go with no point guard, no real point guards or have to throw Frank Mason into the fold. So, um, you know, I think Dante deserves a lot of credit again, not a, you know, not a, a anything right home about scoring wise tonight, but just defensively, um, his activity level and, you know, we just see that game in, game out. I thought he had some great moments against the Lakers as well. Like that that play where he helped down and broke up that Anthony Davis lob just keep, keeps kind of jumping out at me. You know, like he just makes yeah. plays like that, which 6'4 guys just don't make. Um, just those, you know, the energy little uh, plays. And so he's obviously been very good even when he doesn't score. But for George to, uh, you know, continue to shoot the way he does, make plays the way he has, uh, it's obviously been just a huge, huge plus. And, you know, with Bledsoe being out, you obviously notice it even more. Uh, and obviously he was front and center in, in his contributions against the Lakers at 21 points, 10 points last night. And, you know, in that laugher with the Knicks and then tonight, um, you know, another 17 points against his former team, the Pacers. So, um, so yeah, pretty, pretty cool to see a couple of former Pacers in, in both Hill as well as West Matthews, West Matthews, not, not there very long, last year but um was cool to see him really again step up to the challenge and uh you know we've seen that now a couple times this week where he's taken on a a pretty big defensive challenge whether it was LeBron on Thursday Brogdon tonight uh and 
you know, hit the engagement level defensively, uh, but then also, you know, making shots, making plays, well, mainly making shots. <laughs> <laughs> Him doing anything else. He had a post-up tonight where I was like, oh, geez, Wes, come on. It was like, I think it was the fourth quarter. We had that post-up being settled for a bad turnaround. I was like, okay, Wes, like, this is what Mavericks fans always complained about, like you thinking you can, you know, work in the post. But um, overall, I'd say, you know, this it was fun to see him play well tonight because, again, he does not replace Brogdon per se. But to see him and, and George Hill obviously playing, you know, really central roles uh, it was was fun to see. And, and obviously it's, it's very, very important, you know, when you think about addressing the, the absence of Brogdon that both those guys play at, you know, a pretty high level. Uh, on both ends of the court and um, again you just hope they continue to do that you hope that they stay fresh given that they're not young guys at this point and you obviously hope that they can avoid injuries uh, as well uh, you know because right now we're we're still we're still a few months off from from the games really 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 mattering uh, even though obviously uh, you know 27-4 keep keep chugging keep cranking out those wins obviously right now you're in the driver's seat for best record in the league and you just hope you can kind of keep keep building on that yeah, tonight was the rare double revenge game for uh, Wes Matthews and George Hill. But And you know what? I was just thinking about that. I was like, I wonder how many double revenge games there are. And then I was, I was thinking, what would happen for the Pistons against the Bucks? But, um, yeah, unfortunately, the, the Pistons like <laughs> can't beat the Bucks, So they're never going to get like the quadruple revenge game or whatever it would be. But uh, I think both those guys, George Hill and, and Wes Matthews, would be uh, leading candidates for players that uh, when they play against their old teams piss off the opposition fan base because they're just like what the hell am I watching like where did this come from and you mentioned Mavs yeah fans. where was that yeah. yeah yeah and you mentioned with Wes Matthews with with Dallas but even Pacers fans like I, there was a there was a heap of Pacers fans that over the summer were like yeah good luck with that you think he's just going to shoot threes yeah wait till you see him out on the court and I think for them watching him tonight, they would be like, what? This guy's playing within himself on offense. He's shooting open threes. He's playing really good defense. What, what is this? And George Hill, for Cavs fans, obviously, although that was you know, a weird situation, and Kings fans, they'd just be like, are you kidding me? And I, I was looking at some of the numbers for Hill, and I, I tweeted about the fact that uh, we should be talking about him for sixth man. And I just think that that's such a difficult award to win with some of the uh, more high-volume guys particularly the two in, in, uh, with the Clippers uh, in particular. But some of the numbers for Hill, averaging, well, he's averaging over double-digit scoring uh, in his 21 minutes per game. But 17.3 points per 36, which is the third highest in his career. His PER of 19.6 is the second highest in his career. He's got career highs in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and true shooting percentage, which is up to 69.5% right now. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> And I, I looked up the numbers tonight because he had one of those threes where he was like dribble, 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 and then pulled up, knocked it down. I think Eric tweeted about it. And I was, as yeah, he it was tweeted, on Sabonis, I think. Yeah. yeah and, and as he tweeted about it, I was already looking up the numbers because I was like, this guy, not only has he been a good catch and shoot uh, guy, but he's had multiple uh, times this season where you're just like, wow, he really bailed out the box. Where, and, so, and yeah, maybe it is oftentimes when he's playing with those limited offensive lineups, but Coming into tonight, he was 58% from three when he had seven-plus dribbles, which is just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, he uh, – I, I don't know. I mean, part of me is just like, how long is this going to go on for? But we are – I mean, we're nearing – we're not that far away from the halfway point of the regular season. As you said, a lot of miles on the legs, 33 years old. But, geez, he's been, he's been incredible. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying, okay, this can't last. This can't last. He's not going to shoot 50% from three forever. Um, and here he is. He keeps, he keeps <laughs> doing it. And it also, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it feels like he's averaging more than 10 points a game as well, does, right? Yeah. Like, it's almost like it's almost like he doesn't get any garbage time points or something like that. It's like, only, you know, again, this is purely anecdotal. I don't, don't have any data to back this up. But it does feel like his points are always when it matters. Uh, and, and again, not that the Bucks are playing a lot of you know crunch time games because they're not. Um, you know, they're, they're, there have not been many late game situations where you needed uh, guys to step up, uh, especially you know since uh, you know basically after the first you know ten days of the season, it's been just a lot of very you know easy games and a lot of games where uh, you know maybe they win by nine points and again they have to play Giannis into the late four stages of the fourth, but they're not really under threat. Um, but it does feel like Hill has, uh, 
you know, like when, when those bench units come in, it just feels like he's been such a key piece of kind of holding that together. And a year ago, you know, Eric and I talked about that a lot, but it was in spite of the fact that he wasn't shooting the ball well. Now, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's become kind of the, the, the polar opposite where he's doing all those little things, but then also just making, making shots at, at a ridiculous rate. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm not expecting the 50, 50, 86, <laughs> uh, shooting line to, to be maintained over the course of a full season. But, um, you know, a lot of the stuff just sort of evens out, right? I mean, you, know, you look at like Brooke, Brooks struggled, George Hill has shot, you know, way above sort of what any reasonable person could expect him to do over a full season. So obviously a lot of things kind of even out. You will expect George to, to sink back down to earth a little bit. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think, I think George has had a season where he hit, where he shot mid forties, I want to say from three. Um, yeah, I guess it was a partial year. So he shot 42% in 1718. He was 40% each of the two previous years before that as well. Um, so he's never, certainly never been in this range, you know, leading the league at 52% or so, <laughs> uh, but um I don't know. Maybe this is, you know, I don't know, maybe Freaky Friday with, with Cal Corver or something like that one day. Um, who, who knows? But uh, it's obviously incredibly important. And, you know, we talked about it last spring when Malcolm went down with that, that injury that kept him out for whatever it was, a couple months. That was the time when they really needed George Hill to step up. And it's almost like since then, um, you know, he has, he has risen to the occasion. And obviously it's been huge. And so far, obviously the – you know, the fact that they were able to bring him back has been essential, right? The fact that, you know, I, again, I, I'm always hesitant of, of talking about using multiple players to replace one player because ultimately, you know, you want to consolidate your, your talent. You'd rather yeah. have one guy who can do a bunch of stuff rather than, you know, different guys who do different things. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, what George has done and, and what Wes has done, especially Wes, obviously, as a guy who's making the minimum, um, you know, you have to give those guys a lot of credit. Um, they've come in and obviously George was here half last year as well, but they've, uh, I mean, every, these guys have all just bought in, right? Like you just, you just don't get the sense that there's any concerns about playing time, who's getting shots, you know, who's doing this, who's doing that. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just uh, obviously when you're 27 and four, not a lot of people are complaining. And I think, but, but again, I think, Lots of guys deserve credit, including obviously coaching staff, players, et cetera. Um, and should be noted as well, Wes, uh, very good game tonight. And then uh, was presented, him and Giannis were presented after the game with their, uh, by Bango, yeah. the uh, Christmas presents, their championship belts for all their pregame hijinks. Um, I, hope, I hope Robin Lopez gets something because – I mean, let's be honest, Robin is really the MVP of the pregame <laughs> WrestleMania skits they do because Robin just sells, uh, Robin just gets beaten up and sells punches better than anyone uh, could, could expect. So I, I don't know what you give Robin Lopez, um, but uh, shout out to Robin, best tweeter on the team, maybe best tweeter in the NBA, and also the best seller of fake wrestling moves uh, in, in the league right now. So uh, a man of many talents. And tonight, as you said, he actually scored a bit. He actually played a, a nice, did a nice job tonight against obviously a pretty big uh, Pacers front line that, that has some talent. Yeah. Can we talk about uh, Robin's spinning hook shot in the fourth quarter? Because Oh my God. That was we, like, that was... <laughs> <laughs> we've seen him spin before, but I didn't think he was going to stop. I thought he was just going to keep going. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that the refs don't call travels on him just yeah, out of too. like just out of like annoyance for him continuing yeah. to spin and spin and spin and spin. Um, yeah, he he his uh, his willingness to continually spin and pump fake and spin and pump fake until he gets to a shot he likes um, is uh, is pretty hilarious slash remarkable. And uh, I was watching the game with with our friend Eric Name yesterday, uh, the the Knicks game, and Eric I think Eric tweeted this as well. This idea that like when the Bucks start to really feel themselves and they're blowing teams out, like their heat check moment, like, you know, you think of heat checks as like questionable three pointers from, you know, way out with a guy yeah. in your face, but the Bucks as a team sort of like their collective heat checks are like weird things. Like, you know, I, my, my favorite one is like when Robin is like running a dribble handoff at the top of the key and he like kind of fakes a dribble handoff and he like brings the ball around his back and then passes it out to the wing, you know, like just like weird little, like, dipsy do harlem globetrotter <laughs> bs like that and the one that he does during games so 
I mean, Rolo obviously hit a three tonight. You know, him shooting three is sort of the maybe the ultimate heat check. But uh, but yeah, him 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 and his multiple spins, maintaining his pivot foot uh, for those little like patented like slung little like slingshot hook shots, which he's remarkably good at. Uh, that that is uh, one of the recurring themes that you know if you're a Bucks fan who watches every game you have seen more than once and uh it's uh it's pretty funny to watch you know even when it's happening during during meaningful minutes yeah no he and actually tonight robin had multiple dunks i don't think we've seen multiple dunks from uh yeah. lopez either in the game so yeah he was involved he, he finishes uh just a, a plus one on on the box score but that probably uh is pretty heavily influenced by that quick uh 9-0 run i think it yeah. was uh, to end the third quarter, but six for eight from the field. He hit his one three. He yeah, picked up three rebounds, couple assists, no turnovers. It was a solid game. That's such a contender for the best game of the year for Robin. But uh, before before we uh, <laughs> finish this, I, I want I you know I, I was thinking about just avoiding this altogether, but I want to bring it up. I want to bring up some support for Malcolm Brogdon's saltiness in the pregame because I, I think that. I do like I I'm all for it because I, I think you know there was some Bucks fans that were like well screw this guy like he says this and we all know that Malcolm Brogdon he's a very smart guy the one thing I've always said from when I first uh, got the opportunity to speak to him a couple of times I was like he always knows what he's saying like there's no mistakes with Malcolm Brogdon in a in a media setting so uh, he did say I would have loved to play for this team if they had wanted me if they had valued me the way the Pacers value me that's all I got to say and it's like well yeah. It, it's, if I was Malcolm Brogdon, I would rather be playing for the Bucks as well. I mean, they're, they're, they're on pace for 70 wins and you're playing on a Pacers team that is going to be, be in the playoffs, but uh, they're not really a contender. And we saw why tonight that there's just too many limitations against the elite teams, even though they do play really, really hard on both ends of the floor and they're, they're well uh, coached and, and they're a really solid team. But there's a, there's a ceiling on the Pacers and Brogdon, now is playing as the number one option and having a fantastic season. He may be an all-star. I would probably think that it might be Sabonis is the one that's uh, just ahead of him if the Pacers are going to get one. But he's having a great year. But yeah, I just wanted to say that I'm all, I'm all for Malcolm Brogdon being publicly salty about uh, not being with the Bucs. I, I respect it. There's no point in hiding or, or acting like you don't care because you should care. You're, you're on a worse team now. And yes, you're getting paid a lot more money, but the Bucks made a business decision not to pay you and go down, as we've mentioned already, a, a different path with a couple of other guys. And I just want to say, I'm all here for the saltiness. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably come out somewhere between, like you kind of alluded to it. I mean, you know, in a lot of the, the kind of Malcolm discourse sort of among Bucks fans, you know, on the one hand, there's this, there's this sort of like the train of thought is like, well, he didn't want to be here. He wanted to be a point, be the point guard somewhere, which he talked about, you know, after he signed. Um, and the flip side, obviously, like the comments tonight, basically sort of, you know, putting it on the box and just saying like, I mean, I didn't like just run for more money. Like you guys didn't, didn't want to pay, didn't want to pay me. So yeah. I went where I was valued. And I mean, you can't dispute that the Pacers valued him more than the Bucks. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, very, that's very obvious. He's and, not lying. Um, yeah. And I think, I, I think was one thing I don't think like, I, I don't imagine Malcolm is, I don't know. I mean, Malcolm's a competitor. He's a winner, obviously. Like, I think, you know, I think it matters to him. I'm sure he looks at what the Bucks are doing and the fact that obviously from at least a regular season perspective, they obviously have not missed a beat without him. Um, I'm sure that probably feels a little weird, right? Like, you know, yeah. you probably say like, Hey, I, I kind of wish I could win a championship this year. I have a chance of winning a championship this year. Um, but I imagine kind of net net. He also knew that, you know, and, and I think there was maybe, I don't know. And I don't want to say like friction with Bud or something like that, but I, I think, you know, again, he always probably realized that, you know, he was not going to be obviously not the main guy, but um, even like the second guy, in Milwaukee per se. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, what happens if they don't extend Bledsoe? What happens if they, you know, would they have prioritized Brogdon and willing to pay him if they, you know, had obviously lived through the same thing we saw with Bledsoe in the playoffs and, you know, maybe they just not even try to bring Bledsoe back. I and mean, at this point, who knows, right? It's all just sort of counterfactuals that, you know, we'll, we'll never know the exact answer to. Um, but I, I imagine Malcolm is, on, on net happy to be in, in Indiana. I mean, again, I think even guys who I think are, you know, want to win championships. I think they also obviously want to get paid. Like they think 
they sure. deserve and they want to have a chance to to be the guy or at least be you know higher up the pecking order than, than maybe he would have been in Milwaukee um so again you know I think you know all summer you know Eric and I our viewpoint was you know if, if you're the Bucks and Malcolm Brogdon is going to get paid a ton of money you know the easiest answer is F it let's win a championship um and again there's risks if, if the Bucks had done that um you know you can question okay they would have had to pay George Hill less money this year. So could they have shifted money to the back end? Again, probably ways you could have hopefully figured something out there, but um, you know, you would have been well into the luxury tax obviously at that point. And at this point, obviously, you know, until the bucks pay the luxury tax so signals suggest that they do not want to pay the luxury tax and they're not willing to pay to put together them, you know, the most talented team they, they possibly can been interesting here in the past week Zach Lowe has talked about the Bucks being willing to go into the tax somewhat uh at the trade deadline again we'll see what that means right um uh, you know if they had had they'd figured out how to have that trade exception then um that would have provided them more flexibility to you know add a piece and, and potentially go into the tax as well but um as stands harder to go into the tax just because you know to some extent you have to match salaries so yeah, the Brogdon thing, I mean, it's complicated, but I think I think overall, I mean, I think it's a good thing for him, you know, um, when you think about his kind of long-term career. And, again, I don't think it necessarily maximizes his chances of winning a championship, but um, he's obviously getting paid like a star. As you said, he's going to be right there, I think, in terms of, you know, all-star consideration. Um, we'll be interesting to see kind of what happens when he uh, – when, when Oladipo yeah. comes back. Yeah, I and, agree. And maybe not, maybe not even so much this year because Oladipo will probably be somewhat limited coming back from that major leg injury. But you know, let's say next next year, I'm curious to see what it looks like because obviously more of the offense is going to run through Oladipo, all things being equal. And um, you know, Malcolm maybe scores a little bit less, but he's obviously also kind of taken an efficiency hit uh, playing in this in this kind of role that he's in now. I mean, I think right now his three point percentage is pretty much equal to Giannis's. <laughs> which just, you know, says good things about Giannis and bad things about sort of, you know, obviously just Malcolm shooting so far this year. He's shooting a lot more mid-range shots. Um, still above average efficiency, but definitely not sort of what he was last year, which makes sense. You know, he's a focal point of the offense. But, um, you know, his playmaking, the, the understanding he has with Sabonis has been really impressive. And Sabonis is kind of a perfect, a perfect foil for him as well, just given, you know, Sabonis' ability to kind of hurt you from mid-range and roll and use his skill set. So it's kind of funny. I mean, Brogdon really stopped being a playmaker to a large extent last year. Um, you know, and I think at times there was some frustration, myself included, sort of that he seemed to be looking to score. Um, had maybe the contract year blinders on at times. Um, I think the the famous play that, that uh, I always think of was – in that Golden State blowout, I think Eric Bled, it was like a two-on-none in Eric Bledsoe. I was way out in front of him, and he didn't pass to him. He just drove he spent the, <laughs> the length of the court and laid it up. It was like, all right, that's kind of weird. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, this year, obviously, uh, even though he's shooting a lot, um, he's, he's really playing an important role facilitating. And, and even though he obviously ultimately, I mean, he had a really bad shooting, like five out of 19, 10 points, didn't get to the free throw line, didn't hit a three, um, you'll take that any day defensively. But, um, you know, he still dictated the offense, I thought, in, in very impressive ways. And, you know, again, he just missed a lot of shots. And I thought the Bucks defense did really well. But, um, you know, I think what went well for the Pacers also had a heck of a lot to do with the way Malcolm was running the offense, which is something that I would have not – I would have had questions about that, let's say, last year, just based on kind of what we saw, especially last year, but even in the previous couple of years. You know, could he be like a top-tier playmaker? Um, we saw really good stuff with him and, and Greg Monroe um, and never really with like Giannis strangely in pick and roll. Um, so obviously looking a lot more like the old Brogro, Brogro, uh, Brogdon Monroe combination with him and Sabonis. And obviously Sabonis is definitely a much better player than, than Greg Monroe was when, uh, when Malcolm was here. So, so yeah, I think it worked out, you know, for Malcolm. And I think the question just is from the Bucks perspective, obviously, you know, if they win a title, we'll forget about it, and everyone will be happy. If the Bucks don't win a title, then they'll always be open for that second guessing of, you know, what if you had had kept Brogdon? But obviously, you know, so far, hard to at least look at from a regular season perspective and not feel like the Bucks have gotten some some great contributions, right? I mean, it, I saw a poll tonight. Um, who who's been the biggest 
contributing who's who's filled in the, the most notably or something like that yeah um for for brogdon and you know the options were george hill wes and dante and it was like man that's a really good question <laughs> like those guys have all been really important in filling in for malcolm i think i picked george hill i think he was leading a pull but um for different reasons know, though, as right? far as like net yeah yeah they all kind of do different things and obviously George was kind of doing a lot of that already last year. So, I mean, I think that's the, probably the, the, the other way of looking at it is Wes and Dante essentially being like additions with Dante not playing a lot last year. Um, you know, they, those guys deserve a lot of recognition just because who, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get from those guys. Really. Yeah. It's uh, that, that question in particular, I did say that one, I think it might've been ESPN Milwaukee, but they, uh, the, the, when you're trying to, to figure out those three in particular, I mean, Dante does so many, unrecordable positive things Wes Matthews has clearly taken some of the biggest assignments uh defensively and then he's hitting some shots and then George Hill I mean we've already spoken about he's having one of the best seasons of his career at age 33 so uh all three have been great but yeah the Brogdon I mean the big thing with Brogdon is I'm just not with the 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 anti-Brogdon crowd or or you know I hope he does well he he got the money he's he's uh having a, a good season and uh I just think that, yeah, it's, it must be difficult for those guys when you see him at the bench at the end and then he's back in Milwaukee and, and the Bucks are completely blowing away his uh, paces team. And and I for different different reasons, I felt differently when I saw Jason Kidd looking like an absolute deer in the headlights on the bench when Giannis was banging threes from all over the court. That, that made me feel a little bit different than it did when I saw Malcolm Brogdon. But uh, either way, it has to bring up some weird feelings for those guys. And I will say... Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Zach Lowe thing with the luxury tax this year because I tell you what, if the Bucks, I don't know what the deal would be, how it would work. If the Bucks went into the luxury tax this year, that would be the ultimate narrative killer uh, for for all the, the things that have been said uh, about the Bucks front office and the luxury tax and how they cheaped out. It's like, well, if they did that, it'd be like, no, they just seriously thought they had a better plan. But uh, time will tell with that. We've, we've got... Uh, surprisingly not that long until the trade deadline actually it's only about six weeks it's going to come up pretty quickly but i think we can look to wrap it up here frank is it how was how was the fiser forum experience we didn't actually get to that before we wrap it up did uh is that your third game at fiser uh yeah i think yeah i think it was so i i saw uh the king's game early last season that like massive blowout where Giannis had like the three-quarter triple double and watched that from a box and then uh, was in my my parents' regular seats uh, for, I guess it was the Pelicans game. No, no, that must have been two years ago. I forget who I saw. I saw somebody, um, saw some team. Uh, maybe it was the Pelicans. I don't know. I have to double check. Um, I saw some team uh, right around Christmas last year, and then I did see them obviously play the opener this year in Houston. But obviously yeah. that was was on the road, so. Uh, I, I remain undefeated. I was nervous if they lost tonight going to yeah, one and yeah, one. Yeah. That's a that's a bad look as a fan for a twenty seven and four team uh to to be at five hundred. So glad the Bucks kinda took care took care of business tonight. But uh yeah, five serves great. Um you know, I mean the sightlines are great. I mean my our tickets are really good, so that obviously kinda helps. I haven't I haven't been up top um to sort of see how that's like. I mean, I just remember in the old BC that was always the worst was just feeling like you were on the side of a cliff about to fall off. Uh, the sight lines just up top were, were not great, but um, I had a very good, very good hot dog. My one complaint was, so last year I, I was very vocal complaining about the depth of the cup holders. Yes. Uh, and eventually they fixed that. And I'm, I know I was not the only person complaining, but uh, I'll act like I was, uh, you know, <laughs> part of the direct, directly responsibility for them fixing the cup holders that were too shallow. Because I actually kicked over a soda, um, and again, I was not drinking alcohol, so I don't, don't call me a, 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 you know, an ugly drunk kicking Stumbling over drinks drunk. at a basketball game. Yeah, um, but uh, they don't. This, this kind of annoys me. So they don't, uh, they don't have tops for drinks. And they don't have uh, straws, which made the, which made the cup holder thing like especially problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they still don't. And again, I know it's like I, I know it's like a thing now that you know places are getting rid of straws because of environmental or whatever. But um, I don't know. I, when I've read on this, like this is like it's like more symbolic. Like the the, the straws are not. And again, I'm, I'm gonna 
I'm not going to get go down this rabbit hole, but um, I appreciate the symbolism, but just give me a damn top with a straw. You know, I'm like climbing over people and <laughs> trying to not spill a goddamn drink. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, especially with the soda. People are used to doing it with, with, with beers, you know, you, you don't get tops obviously with straws for beers, but for a soda, it's like, come it's on, dangerous. Give, give, give me a paper straw or something. I don't know. Give me a recycled paper straw or something like that. And maybe, Maybe I'm just going to need to start bringing my own tops and straws to Pfizer form. Is it, is it going to come to that? I don't know. But um, anyway, uh, I had a very good Clemens hot dog. I have no complaints. Um, it, was, uh, it was fine. But the problem, problem, problem is like halftime so short. And when you're at a game, you know, you kind of realize like, oh, man, there's like no, no time to like go around, look around, yeah, check it kind of do yeah. stuff. Yeah. I was, uh, I was at Bayshore today and there's a Bucks pop-up shop there, which I thought was kind of cool. I guess it's easy to get a pop-up shop at Bayshore because like half the mall is like, you know, a ghost town. But um, <laughs> I went in there and uh, poked around a little bit. Obviously, a lot of, a lot of the new Cream City here. So if people need to uh, check out some gear in there on the North Shore, uh, pop-up shop is, uh, is at Bayshore there next to the Apple store. So um, I almost bought my daughter like a little like plush Giannis doll. I'm still kind of thinking maybe I need to pick that up before I head back. I need to, need to school my daughter in the in the ways of Giannis a little more. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. You, you got to keep, uh, is, I don't know if we've spoke about this. Is she, uh, on the box on the rockets or not on basketball so much at all? I mean, she's around obviously when I'm watching a lot of bucks stuff. I mean, my wife, we had some rocket stuff when she was like a newborn. Yeah. And then we had buck stuff that she grew into. Um, so I feel like she's more of a bucks person. Yeah, my wife like doesn't it. really watch. Yeah, she watches like Rockets games generally, like on DVR. Like she's too stressed out by Rockets games to watch them live, so she just she just watches them like during the day afterwards. So I don't think my daughter is getting a lot of exposure to uh, to the Rockets right now, which obviously I think is for the best. So um, anyway, we'll we'll see. I, I but I, I probably do need to get her some some more gear, like maybe like a stuffed bango or you know like a like yeah. a Giannis little plush plush Giannis thing because. She's got tons of dolls, but, um, you know, let's be honest. We, we got to put Giannis front and center so she understands. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, sort of things like I've, I've been around the block here. I know, I know how bad it can be as a fan. You obviously as well. Uh, you got to appreciate Giannis versus all these kids that are like, you know, <laughs> like following the Bucks now. It's like, oh, Giannis, Giannis. It's like, yeah, guess what? This is as good as it will ever be <laughs> with, with a superstar player. Appreciate what you have. Um, so hopefully people are, again, we, we often take for granted ourselves when we talk about the Bucks, but hopefully, hopefully young fans as well are appreciative of just how incredible, uh, Giannis and, and the Bucks are right now. Cause it is, a it is something to watch and yeah, um, just another three wins and whatever it was four days here as the Bucks go to 27 and four, it's, it's a pretty good place to be in. You just hope, <laughs> you just hope just don't mess anything up, just stay healthy and just keep on keeping up. Yeah, yeah, twenty-seven to four, as you mentioned. As I said, uh, eighty-seven and twenty-six in the bud era in the regular season. It is incredible when you think back to uh, some of the bad seasons that we watched. And interestingly enough, as we just uh, wrap it up here, the Lakers have just gone down in a blowout loss to the to the Denver Nuggets, and uh, LeBron James didn't play in that one with some sort of fake injury they made up after, <laughs> after they lost to the Bucks. But uh, I am reading, I am reading that. Uh, Anthony Davis has been in the game even throughout this blowout, hobbling around, not looking healthy at all. So the Lakers lost three out of four and uh, not looking too healthy, which was obviously a concern coming in. But the Bucks are 27-4. and four. They're fine. They're going to be up next on Christmas Day against the Sixers. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, even though the Sixers are struggling a little bit. But we will leave it there for now. We've... Uh, it was good to catch up with you. I mean, we haven't spoke for a few days, so we were always going to run a little bit longer here. But for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.